This is your host, Manoj Tandon. Welcome to another episode of Dark Rhino Security, Security Confidential. Today, we are honored to have our own cybersecurity celebrity join us. He is Adam Levin. I'm sure you folks have seen him on various networks out there. He is the author of the book, Swiped. Uh, he hosts a regular podcast. He is a nationally recognized expert in cybersecurity, privacy, identity theft. He has been a huge advocate for consumers, and we're actually going to talk a little bit about uh, consumer advocacy. Uh, he's the former director of the New Jersey Division of Consumer Affairs. He's the founder of CyberScout and the co-founder of Credit.com. We're just honored to have someone of his caliber here. Thank you, Adam, for joining us. Deeply appreciate it. And so do all our listeners. Well, listen, I appreciate the fact that you've invited me on your show, Manoj. And, and you know, here I am to lower your digital property values. And and <laughs> <laughs> But anyway... Uh, it's a pleasure to be here today, and thank you for inviting me. Oh, yeah, uh, you know we we're looking for your keen insights. But one thing that we do get from our listeners is everybody loves the origin story. People always like to know because cybersecurity is a field where people have come in from various disciplines and backgrounds, and and there's uh, we've if nothing else we've broken the myth that you have to be a computer science guy uh, to be in cyber, but. Uh, if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit about how this journey began for you. Absolutely. Well, I became in the mid-70s the director of the New Jersey Division of Consumer Affairs. And so okay. I've always had a, a public service and consumer protection orientation to my life. Uh, in the early 90s, I got together with a friend and we created one of the first online a credit education information product and services company called credit.com. In fact, we were so early to the process that we actually got the domain by swapping a hard drive for it. Wow. Uh, and uh, so consumer affairs prepared me for credit.com because we were very focused on giving people unbiased, clear information about how to understand something that was really like a mystery and a black cloud, which is, how do people deal with credit? And yeah. it really wasn't that much of a leap of faith for us to take the next step. Uh, I've been approached by people, a legal services company uh, that wanted to do the JCPenney credit card portfolio. And they said, our bid is going to be too high. We'd love to have an identity theft component. Now, remember, this is 2002. No one even early, really, early days never even knew what identity theft in those days yeah. was, uh, even though it had stemmed all the way back from the 70s, but it was really kind of operating under the radar. And so we looked around, uh, my partner and I, and we, we didn't find anything that really would solve their problem. So we decided to do it ourselves. And that was a company with a core competence in putting people and organizations back together again after they had suffered some form of compromise. Okay. And that was the beginning of a company called Identity Theft 911. And we had a number of insurance companies that said, your name is scaring the heck out of our people. So can you come up with another name? So we said, well, since our, our, our URL is IDT 911, we'll do that. But after a few years, we had reporters saying, so you an alarm company or a phone company? <laughs> and as we became global, because we were in the U.S., Canada, the EU, Asia, Malaysia, and Australia, wow. uh, we looked for a global name, and we were lucky enough to get our hands on CyberScout. And CyberScout was identity theft, education, information, resolution, uh, forensics, uh, incident preparedness, incident response, and election security. So that's really, that's the wow. saga from 1993 all the way up to 2021 uh, when I sold the company to a company called Santique, which is now part of TransUnion. Wow. That's quite a journey. And, you know, you were first to market, essentially, in a lot of ways. We those were the early days in the, if you, if you think of the cyber days, the early days where, um, uh, LifeLock was direct to consumer and we were B2BTC. So we were, uh, direct to businesses helping their consumers. Wow. 
Fantastic. Yeah, LifeLock, uh, I think they did real well too. They ended up selling to Symantec, I believe. And- uh, they, they sure did. And um, actually, Todd Davis, who founded LifeLock, and, and I have become pretty good friends and we're on the same board of a, uh, of a, of a medical institution in Arizona. So uh, it's amazing how all lines intersect ultimately. Well, I'll tell you what, we kind of are replicating a little bit of his model with what he did with his guarantee. Yeah. And, okay. Um, the million so, dollar guarantee. You're- yeah. We're one of the, we're the, actually, I, I want to say we might be the first cyber, we are the first cybersecurity company that's actually putting our money where our mouth is on this thing. Which is so, so important. And, and, and uh, you know, I was involved with uh, the Consumer Federation of America and, uh, you know, many of the organizations of Washington the NGOs have been really working hard at finding ways to build the the bridge uh, between public, private. And, you know, one of the things that they were worried about, and that's why you have identity theft info, uh, and, and that's about where companies come together and sign uh, a pledge uh, that they're going to be straight with their consumers, that they're not going to make any promise that they can't keep, and they're going to, you know, be very fair when it comes to dealing with their customers and not promising something uh, that is beyond their ability to deliver. So, yeah. So I, I'd love to turn back to the, the turn back the clock to when you were uh, a, an incarnation in uh, the consumer affairs. Yes. Arena. And I have a, you know, a question for you. You look at when we buy devices today, whether it's a Samsung TV or a smart TV, I should say, or, a, you know, a refrigerator or whatever. It, it, a lot of these devices now have cameras. They, they have the ability to take inputs, record your surroundings or Alexa or whatever you have out there. Right. And when as a consumer, we never really get full disclosure before we purchase. So we have to put our money on the table, buy the device, and we must agree to those terms, which are undisclosed. And I can tell you, nobody reads that stuff. Nobody. Right? Nobody. It's just like nobody, nobody reads it. Nobody reads privacy policies. Nobody understands when they're giving permission to an app what that permission exactly. is. I don't know if you remember way back when. Uh, when you had Pokemon Go, which became yep. like the rage, and yep. people people didn't realize in the early stages of it that you were actually giving authority to that developer to get access to your entire Google world until someone brought it to their attention and they went, "I oh, don't know, no, we didn't mean that." And of oh, course, sure I always love did. it when a company goes, "No, no, no, we didn't mean it." I mean, forget the fact, the lawyers, the marketing people. Everybody already looked at everything, but, but yes, when you get involved with buying an internet of things device and think about the fact that there are billions of these devices right now that are tracking us, listening to us, watching us, um, you don't really understand how privacy invasive those devices can be. Even to the point where you remember when Samsung issued a warning when they yes. said, uh, by the way, you might want to disable the microphone function Phone. of the television. That's right. Yeah. And the camera on some of those TVs. If Oh, absolutely. You can become the unwitting star of your own reality show, <laughs> uh, which is, is not something that you may really want to happen. I know. But some, but, and most people don't realize it can be as simple as reading the manual and changing the password on the device. Or you might not have any control over it. You have to accept the terms as they're written. And that's the thing. Why hasn't our regulators caught up with this and said, you know what, this is not fair. Just like we have product labeling on other consumer products. Why is there not an open disclosure that if you buy this product, we will listen to, you know, whatever, or you're giving us permission to do this or, and, or we have an opt out, a mechanism to say, no, we don't agree with this, Eula, but I already paid for this refrigerator. <laughs> well, that, that's why, you know, one of the things is that the, the, it, 
opt out should not be the norm. Uh, the default should be you're out unless you wish to opt in. And that's been the biggest problem. I mean, Apple is probably more aggressively in favor of the consumer than a lot of other companies. Yes. Uh, where you have so many opportunities not to be part of something or where you actually have to do something affirmatively in order to to be more exposed. But other companies, you know, it's all about gather the data because data is currency. And, uh, and, and what's tragic is we live in a world where breaches have become the third certainty in life behind death and taxes. And when all of these organizations collect all of this information, and then people want to know, how did I get exposed? Well, the answer is, A, you were willing to make the Faustian bargain because you wanted the product and you clicked on the I accept without understanding what I accept really means. They've That's 99.9%. Okay. Yeah, they've, they've made privacy policies in, uh, even though they're trying to make them more uh, accessible in terms of people's understanding, they're in 27th grade English in mouse print. And, and so we start as consumers behind the eight ball and, you know, you have states like California that are working very hard with their, their privacy act, uh, to get people more privacy and more people to understand the data that's being collected. And with Apple now you can go and it will explain to you exactly where your data is being shared. I have a friend who has a company is called Locker, L-O-K-K-E-R. Okay. And and one thing that, and what they specialize is they go on your website, they do an analysis, and they will show you every single place that data is leaking from your homepage. And then they help you either quarantine it, anonymize it, whatever. They found one uh popular uh healthcare organization where data was leaking just based on the code on their homepage to six hundred fifty different organizations one homepage wow and and people don't understand this and and people need to understand we are the product even if we're paying we're the product we absolutely are the product and we've gotten used to that we've traded privacy for convenience to a large that degree convenience versus security whenever there's a rub convenience wins convenience wins and mm -hmm. now we find ourselves in this situation. I mean, if you just, I would venture, is there anybody left in the United States whose data has not been leaked on some account in some fashion somewhere with one of the major breaches? I would say that that's probably on the same level of the Carolina Panthers winning the Super Bowl next year. <laughs> it's, it's one of those things just, it ain't, and with all due respect, and love to the fans in Carolina. In Carolina. Uh, the, the bottom line is no. I mean, between the Equifax breach, the and if the breaches of the Office of Personnel Management, all oh, yeah. of the airlines, all of the uh, pretty much all the big hotel chains, the big retailers, uh, we're, we're out there. And and the thing that people really have to understand is we we all have day jobs. Uh, we're raising a family, running a business, working for somebody, being involved in philanthropic activities, getting an education. Right. But to a hacker or a scammer or an identity thief, we are their day jobs. So we are not in in. It's not a fair battle. It's like we're bringing a water gun to a machine gun fight. Wow. So what is to be done about this? So I, I'd love for you to tackle this in two ways. One, what can we, what should be done with these companies that are housing this data and are leaking or it's getting leaked by them? I won't say it's being done. Uh, it's inadvertent. It's being stolen, but it's getting leaked. And then what do we as individual consumers do to affect change and to protect ourselves? Because ultimately, Individual responsibility is not scrubbed, but in many ways, corporate responsibility, it seems like, has been scrubbed. Should I? And I can give a few examples of that, but love for you to 
illustrate if you were or, or give your thoughts on this well you know i go back to the one of one of my favorite quotes from one of my favorite humans in cybersecurity which is bruce schneier who he is the rock star in in cybersecurity and uh you know one of his most famous mantras is that if you think throwing a ton of money at technology is going to solve your security problems then you don't understand the technology and you don't understand security because it's really all about the human factor. And, right. uh, and uh, if you go back to Peter Drucker, who's one of the great management, management wizards, you know, his line was culture eats uh, strategy for breakfast, which is, it's all about culture. And it's something that we as people have to develop and companies have to develop, which is from the, the, the mail room to the boardroom and back again to the loading dock Organizations have to create a culture of privacy and security where everyone in the organization buys into the concept that they are part of it, that they have ownership of it. Just like as consumers, we have to understand the fact that we are the ultimate guardians of our information. And, you know, I, I look at it as what I call the three portfolio theory okay. is that uh, if, if, when you say the word portfolio, to most people, it means investments. Uh, but we have other portfolios in our lives. We have our credit portfolio. We have our identity portfolio. And uh, if any of those portfolios go awry, it will impact the other portfolios. Now, you would hope that someone professional would manage your investment portfolio. But as consumers, right. we have to manage our credit and our identity. Because nobody knows what we do more than we do, even though we don't acknowledge it half the time. And we have to build them, nurture them, manage them, and protect them. So when the, the CEO of Microsoft made a statement a few years ago, and I thought he was dead on, he said, we have a shared responsibility. All of us do. Uh, government, business, consumers, and the media. Because we're all in this together. If the grid goes down, we're in it together. If we become a victim of an identity theft and our information uh, is used to, let's say, log into our businesses and our businesses are in any way involved with supply chain and that supply chain has anything to do with national security, something as simple as a really dumb password or a device handed to your child, and kids can be weapons of destruction within a household, and not properly secured, it could actually impact America. Terrifying and crazy as it sounds, that's the way it is. So we have to start at ground zero, which is our children. We have to teach them cybersecurity. They have to understand that everything they do can protect mommy, daddy, their grandparents, and families have to work together to better understand it. Companies have to spend more time training their personnel as to cybersecurity, and the government has to get more serious about training its people and making sure that its systems are better protected. Yes, and I think, that, you know, on the government side, don't you think we also, our policies date back to the time of paper and pencil and, and whatnot? Yep. There needs to be some revisions there or, or some changes. Like, as an example, you look at our social security numbers, right? We have no ability to, once it's breached and that data is out there, to stop its use, to change the number or to affect anything with it. It's once it's out there and I can guarantee you mine is out there and Adam, probably yours is out there. Oh, it's having a party out there. It's yes. having a, yeah. And, and it's asked for in such a nonchalant way. Like as so many businesses you go into, any form you fill out, oh, we want your social security number. Oh, we want your social security number. Isn't there some of, so as that's a policy example, we need to make some changes here. And our lawmakers need to get with the times too, not just the consumer. I agree completely the consumers have to have a change in mindset. But where's the responsibility on the part of our lawmakers who we elect to do some of these things and look at them in a serious way? Well, 
First, you have to start with the premise that Congress can't agree on the day of the week. Uh, That's a small problem. Yes, it is. Many years ago, I went to Washington because I used to spend a lot of time in Washington. Uh, And in fact, I worked in Washington for a period of time. And so I was talking to, and I won't identify the party, but I was talking to some of the party leadership of the House of Representatives. And I said, how are we doing on privacy? And they said, well, in the next year or so, we'll probably see something on security. But privacy, no one can agree on what privacy is. And it's like, oh, yes, they can. In Europe, they did. In the state of California, they did. It's amazing to me how you can't figure it out here in in Washington. And then, of course, a lot of people in Congress are worried that if they do come out with something and they are in the process of coming out with something, that in order to accommodate all of the different interests, whether it's business groups, consumer groups, public interest groups, um, that by the time it comes out, it's a watered down mess. Uh, You have to ask yourself, for instance, why is there no national data breach disclosure policy in America. And that's because a number of states don't want it because they feel that their policies are far stricter than you would get out of Congress. And a number of people in Congress just don't want to do it because heaven forbid they put stress on any business. And when I was the head of consumer affairs, we had two goals. One, protect consumers and protect honest businesses against dishonest businesses, people that would take advantage of business people, consumers, business organizations, public interest group, these kinds of things. So um, yes, it it has to start with Congress, but Congress can't seem to get started. I mean, look what's going on in Washington now. It took him 15 tries to get a speaker. They got a new speaker who's terrified if he does anything wrong, he's gone. Yeah, he's gone. Yep. Nobody's talking any. You have situations with bills that were worked on very hard by people in a bipartisan way. And then it comes to the floor and either gets killed in the Senate or the House. Uh, you know, the the whole thing is tragic. And, and we are left uh, almost defenseless. And that's very dangerous because we are living now in a very, very dangerous world. I mean, if you ask some of the national security people, they will tell you off the record that, and we've read it, uh, that China, Russia, Iran, they're in our grid, just as no doubt we are in their grid. But I was talking to someone today and they said, look, if the grid goes down, you'll have anarchy in three days. And I don't know if it even take that long, Adam. Have you read uh, Ted Koppel's book on that? Oh, Lights yes. out. The lights out. Yes. Yes. Right. Um, so he talked about sanitation being one of the biggest issues, right? I mean, right away in major cities, no power. No, no question. So, so how do we approach this, right? Because that's really the crux. How do we approach this, yes. especially in a world where we now have deep fakes, disinformation, misinformation, nudification, sextortion, tech scams? Every scam you could imagine. How do we do this? We need a framework. And in the book Swipe, Bo Friedlander, who was my collaborator and I, okay. uh, we came up with what we call the three M's. How do you minimize your risk of exposure, okay. reduce your attackable surface? How do you monitor so you effectively know as quickly as possible you have a problem? And then how do you manage the damage? And we apply it to both business and consumers. Now, businesses... Obviously, you need to train your people, segment your data, map your data, uh, make sure that all of your devices are up to date as possible, continue to monitor your devices, looking for weird uh, exfiltration patterns, things like that, Um, and manage vulnerabilities. And when a patch is issued for software, make that patch happen as fast as it that you can. Because as we saw in Equifax, a patch was issued involving the software. The security group sent a note down to the technology group and somebody missed it. And for yeah. months, this vulnerability was was there and someone got in and all of a sudden the data on 150 million people was exposed. And we've seen a lot of breaches where when you look at the report of the technology groups and the security groups, they will tell you we are woefully lacking and yet 
it doesn't happen, and then the organization gets breached. I mean, go all the way back to the uh, to the uh, uh, the breach of Paramount, where oh, yeah. you know again there were there were warning signs everywhere for months and months that they had a problem, maybe even years, and nobody nobody paid attention to it. So you have to first minimize your risk of exposure. Then you have to effectively monitor. And as I said, monitor the flow of data. Um, make sure that anytime vulnerability is discovered, you do something about it and then manage the damage. For an organization, that means prepare for the worst. And it has to be a, a, an effort throughout the, the uh, entire company. It has to be HR, uh, PR, uh, technology, uh, senior suite people, uh, the security people. And if something goes wrong, you've got to have a third party on your speed dial that you can go to immediately and get things in motion where you have to find out what happened, where it happened, plug the leak, do the, the, the PR so that you present the company in the best possible light, but you be honest about it. It's all about companies will be judged on, on the urgency, transparency, and empathy that they demonstrate. Uh, when dealing with a breach. So those are the three M's for companies, and I could spend hours on it, but I won't do that. When it comes to consumers, what are the three M's? Again, how do you minimize your risks of exposure? Everything from password protocols, maybe a password manager, two-factor authentication, unique passwords. We had a wonderful guest on our show, Michelle Dennity, who okay. was saying that she operates on what she refers to as the panties rule when it comes to her passwords, which okay. is they should be exotic, they should be frequently changed, and it is disgusting if they're shared with others. So <laughs> password protocol. Um, also, um, when you set up security questions and answers, lie like a superhero. And the reason is because so much information is out there about so many people that we did ourselves because it's on social media, where we went to school, yeah. what our favorite color is, what our dog's first name was, uh, what our mother's maiden name was. The list goes on and on and on. But we know that Superman never told people he was Clark Kent. Clark Kent. Uh, yeah. Bruce Wayne never talked about uh, the fact that he was Batman. Uh it's like you lie like a superhero. If your mother's name is Brown, say it's Smith. If you went to uh, Ridgewood High School, say you went to Sky High. Uh, the key thing is when you're asked the security question, as long as you give them the answer you gave them when you set up the question, uh, you're fine. This is not a background check for you to get the highest level of security clearance. It's well, just a process to make you a well, little bit more secure and a harder target. Well, Adam, doesn't that become burdensome, though, as a consumer? Because we have so many, so many, whether you're on Venmo or Zelle or PayPal, and then you're on Netflix and Prime and God knows how many accounts the average American has that are digitally identified. For every one of those, you have to apply the process that you're talking about if you want to do it correctly. Well, but or get a password manager, which simplifies the process a great deal. Depending upon what manager you get, it's multi-platform. Simply pull it, pull it down. It, it, you know, you know what the the, the uh, password is. Also, we do know with with certain browsers, uh, they have ways that you can save your passwords. You just have to make sure that it's a very safe browser. Also, use a virtual private network. It's not a big deal. It's available. You can get it everywhere. That shields you a little better. Don't use public Wi-Fi if you're involved in a in a transaction that is sensitive. Like even if you're looking at your email, maybe you don't do it on a public network. You can browse if you want to, but be careful. Just think about the fact that there are people out there that are not your friends. Just like when you go on social media, do you really have to share every morsel of your life? And when you're on a trip, you know, the whole theory is, Share the memory when you return. Be careful about sharing the event as it unfolds on real time. Because wow. if you do that, then people know where you are and where you aren't.
Well, let's look at that one, Adam. Look at how many, how easy is that to figure out? Like if somebody sends you an email at work while you're on holiday, you're going to get an out of office reply, mm -hmm. typically, right? You're probably going to tell them who to call in your absence, which is even better because now you gave a legit address and verified somebody else, okay? You've probably stated on Facebook, hey, looking forward to our vacation, depending on your bent for social media. I, I don't use it that much, but my kids use it all the time, right? And I'm sure all those details are there. So you have put all this data out there. You've just let people know you're gone. You're not home. You'll be back when? Well, that, you, know? you remember there was a site many years ago called Please Rob Me where they, they yeah. gave the most egregious examples of people uh, being very forthcoming about about where they are, when they're leaving, when they're going to return. Just like, you know, have the post office hold your mail for a few days so that people don't drive by your house and see mail coming out of the mailbox <laughs> or a stack of, you know, boxes on your front porch. Make a deal with your neighbor to come over every day and just take boxes off your front porch. I mean, there, there are things that we can do. There are common sense things. Yes, they are a pain in the butt. But I am telling you without question, and you know this as well, that the agony that you will go through as a victim of some form of identity theft or hack and the expense will be far greater than whatever the hassle is of doing a series of things. Make it a checklist. Just like when a pilot gets on a plane, before they start the plane, they go through their checklist. I'm sure they would prefer not to have to do that. They have to do it. Why? Yeah, It's for safety. Uh, just like, okay, so now a big thing we have now is virtual kidnapping, uh, which is- Please explain that. Yeah. Which has started to be a problem. That's where uh, someone in the family gets a call and they are they either hear a voice in the background that sounds like a voice of their relative or some kind of video- where they're led to believe that someone has been been kidnapped. And wow. most of the time, it's not true. But they don't know. I mean, there was a, a guy, a very big show in New York, a million-dollar uh, listing or million-dollar broker. And one of the brokers on the show got a call saying his brother had been kidnapped and they wanted him, while he had the phone, to go to an ATM machine, get money out, and drop at a specific location. He had the presence of mind to text his brother, and he found out his brother was fine. Um, but this is happening more and more. Uh, we had a, a, a mother on our show where she got a call she thought was from her daughter who was kidnapped. One of the ways that you protect against, it's horrible that we have to think about these That's things, crazy. but we do, is have a safe word for the family, a word that only your member, family members know that if if someone is attempting to either get them to do something or make you believe they have them in their possession, say, by the way, what what's the uh, ask them what the safe word is. If they can't come up with a safe word, then they don't have the family member in most cases. So, uh, you know, there there are little things just just like how many families say in the event of a flood a hurricane or tornado, this is where we're going to meet as a family as fast as possible. Because usually when these things happen, somebody's at work, somebody's at school, somebody's out shopping, the communication lines go down. So, you know, you have to do a little planning. Well, uh, and that is discipline. It's, but we do that in other areas of our lives. You make a very good point with it. Uh, and it gets back to your earlier point of culture. There needs to be a shift in our mindsets if we are going to get very, very serious about protecting ourselves in an increasingly digital world. Now, if I might just take take you back for a second. Uh, when it comes to consumers, there are two other M's, but they're much shorter. Please. Uh, the second M is monitor. So how do you effectively monitor? Get your credit report. And you know what? Don't just say, hey, I got my credit report. I'm good. Read it. Read it. Yeah. And and see if there's anything on there that doesn't make sense. And if if there is, don't assume it's a mistake. Contact the uh, the credit reporting agency, uh, the fraud department, and say I see something on my report 
It doesn't look right. Uh, I need to do a little further investigation. Track your credit scores. If your credit score takes a sudden precipitous drop, uh, there can only be three reasons. You didn't pay a bill on time. Not good. You're using too much of your available credit. Not so good. You're a victim of identity theft. Really bad. Also, sign up for transaction alerts from your financial institutions and your credit card. It's free. And it notifies you anytime there's activity in your account. Now, if you get notified that you just went to the ATM machine and you had gone to the ATM machine, you shouldn't be annoyed by it. You should be grateful that they're watching on your behalf. And then something as simple as you get an explanation of benefit statements from your health insurer, take a look at it because you might find out it wasn't you. We had a 72-year-old grandmother that we helped through one of the insurance companies who on the same day, opposite sides of the country, uh, her insurance was billed for a pregnancy test and a sperm viability test. Wow. 72. She found it. And she took it, it took weeks for them to believe her when she said, I'm 72. This isn't me. And then, of course, you have you know, more sophisticated forms of monitoring that include dark web monitoring. It's important for you to know that. And then the third M, manage the damage. A lot of people don't realize that through their insurance company, many financial institutions, and their employer, there are programs now to assist people who are going through identity incidents. And you can take advantage of their programs, and it's either free to you uh, as a result of your employer subsidizing it, or you pay a certain percentage of it, or it's deeply discounted, or whatever it is. But you need to have one of these programs uh, because this could be invaluable if you become a victim of many forms of identity theft, everything from new account takeover, medical identity theft, child identity theft, criminal identity theft. Uh, so there are ways for you to get help, and there are, are wonderful programs where you have fraud assistants who will assist you and get you through it. But you just have to do a little research and make sure that you find the one that's right for you or you're lucky enough to work for an organization, almost 40% of them now do, that offer this program to help you. And I hope the peop all the listeners that are listening into this understand that in essence, they need to take inventory of their own personal digital life and go through it in great detail and get a clean baseline, get that established because you're absolutely at, it sounds like you're advocating totally for that. Get, get it cleaned up, get, get your house in order and then make it very difficult for someone to cause disorder in that house. And, and, Don't and be the victim. Don't right. act like a victim. And think about all the things that we do for our health, right? We go get medical checkups every year. We go to the dentist every six months. Uh, there are things that we do to maintain our bodies and our minds. The, we need to do things that help maintain our credit and our identity uh, because it is such a critical part of what we do. You know, there are people out there that go, you know, run away from debt, worry about debt. I'm not suggesting people take on debt, but I'm say, suggesting the people that understand credit, for example, because credit can be your best friend or your worst enemy. And just like the way you maintain a friendship is you stay in touch and you're there for each other with credit. If you're there for your credit, believe it or not, your credit will be there for you. And that is a critical part of your identity. And that's one of the reasons why we started What the Hack, uh, which is our podcast, which is, it, it is a no shame zone. It is it's an educational uh, uh, podcast. Uh, we have a lot of fun guests and we try to take a look at problems just like you do here. We try to take a look at the problems that are facing people and, and look at ways that people have experienced the negative side of it and the things that they did in order to better protect themselves so they, they wouldn't have to go through this. But you do have to start with the premise that the way the world is, it is inevitable 
inevitable that one day uh, each and every one of us will be a victim of at least one form of identity theft. I, I always say to people, you know, um, when you look in the mirror, you see you. You're a regular person. When a hacker, scammer, identity theft looks at you, they see Beyonce, Jay-Z, Adam Levine, uh, Usher, uh, because you got what they want. You have um, financial information. You have personal information. Of course, you have money uh, that they'd like to get their hands on. Or it could have absolutely nothing to do with you as you. You could simply be the tributary tributary to a larger river, which means oh, yeah. they want to get your child, your spouse, your relative, your company. Uh, if you work for the government, they'd love to use you to crawl through your uh, access uh, to get into uh, government systems. Or if you're affiliated with an organization, you're on the board of an organization, they may use you by breaching or hacking into you and then because they've got your credential, your password, your user ID, they're going to use that to then get into anything else they want to get into. And you have no idea that it's you that was the way they got in. So what I say to people is, and businesses in particular, the three M's do apply to you. Uh, one of the most critical things, develop a culture of privacy and security in your organization. Um, Use long and strong passwords. Use password managers. Use two-factor authentication. Uh, make sure that the passwords are discreet and they're not shared by an entire department in your organization. Uh, but each person has their own password because that will give people a clue as to how the hackers might have gotten in. Also, do everything you can to anonymize the data of people. Have people talk to each other. I mean, we have situations where people fall for business email compromise or deep fakes because they think they're talking to the right person or they believe that they received a communication from the right person, but they never take the next step to independently contact that person and say, did you just send me something? And did you just ask me to wire money? Yeah. Don't worry if they're going to be upset with you because if they're upset with you momentarily because you disturb them, that is That's nothing okay. compared to how upset you're gonna they're gonna be with you in the event that uh, that there is an incident uh, that costs that company money because you blindly followed a communication that you thought came from a superior. Now, Adam, did you see recently there was a huge uh, breach with a deep fake in in a Hong Kong bank uh, via a video call? They use deep fakes to imitate senior management, and uh, the fellow sent $25 million yep, willingly. Yep. No hack required. Well, yep. it was a hack, but no, they didn't have to get into the systems, bypass your firewalls, exploit a vulnerability. The vulnerability was the person themselves. Wasn't there, there was, oh, the MGM hack that happened recently. Remember that? Oh, uh, yeah. That was yeah. the help desk. It, that's it. Costs a hundred million dollars to the organization, uh, and they wouldn't pay the ransom. Or at least they publicly said they didn't pay the ransom. But with lost time, lost money, ATM machines going down, uh, slot machines going down, and somebody just took ten minutes, ten minutes with somebody at the help desk. This is a training issue. When somebody calls you, giving you a sob story, and you're with a small business. Uh, just just say to yourself, just stop for a moment and say, why would I do this? Why should I do this? Maybe I need to buck this up to a superior uh, in order for them to, to make a decision on this thing. I mean, ransomware can kill an organization. Um, what happened to MGM if they weren't stronger could have could have destroyed the organization. Well, look at the, the stat in uh, the SMB world is. Six months post-breach, most SMBs are out of business. Yeah. Yep. And and that's why people have to understand that, that this is a dangerous world. The people contacting you are not your friends. Now, if you want to take it to the saddest extreme, uh, one of the guests on our show was named John DeMay. His okay. son, Jordan, 
uh, was a well-known case, came out of Michigan. His son, Jordan, went up from the dinner table, went online, thought he was communicating with a young woman. She, and I use the term she in parentheses, got him to send a compromising picture. Almost two minutes after he sends the picture, he gets a DM and he's told that it's a scam. They have this picture that unless he pays them $1,000, they're going to release this picture uh, out to everyone that he knows on social media, that they already have that information. And in fact, over a few hour period, they send him a collage of pictures of people that are his contacts that he is on social media with. He sent them $300. They said, thank you, not enough. He said, if you don't stop, I'm going to kill myself. They said, go ahead, we'll help you. And he shot himself to death. Father found him the next morning. Uh, the only mini positive to this story, and there's almost none, is that the FBI, working with the Interpol, working with Nigerian intelligence, managed to track down the guys and extradited two of them to the United States where they are standing trial right now uh, in Michigan uh, for the, the, the murder of this young man. That is a horrific story. It's and one there thing many... to lose your credit. It's a whole other thing to lose your life. It's... Yes. And, and this is happening more and more. They're targeting young men. The statistics are coming in now. They're targeting young men and young men are falling for it. You know, I'm 74. And, you know, a lot of people go, well, you know, seniors get targeted. Yes, they do. It is horrible. It is tragic. But interestingly enough, more young people are falling for these scams. Now, maybe it's just because they're reporting these scams as opposed to elderly, many elderly people who are, are, are embarrassed about what happened and don't want to talk about it. But more young people are now falling for all forms of scams. And, you know, Adam, it also could be that younger people have such a large digital footprint in comparison to seniors that it's much easier to socially engineer a believable scam on them than it is a more aged person. Well, and, and young people tend to be, when it comes to online communication, very trusting, which is very interesting, but they, they are, whereas older people are at least becoming more cynical and skeptical about who they're communicating with online. And, you know, another rule of the road is if anyone contacts you, I don't care if they say they're from the IRS, your bank, your favorite realtor, uh, your favorite retailer, any of that. Um, and asks you to authenticate yourself to them. You know, one of the great and 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 far-reaching uh, uh, financial-oriented scams is you get a call from your bank, and they tell you that uh, they've noticed some suspicious activity with your account, and they would like to go through some of your uh, transactions with you. Uh, but first, uh, they need to confirm you're really you. So would you please take your credit, your debit card, flip it over and, and read them the security code? So, of course, the first question is, you're calling me. Why do I have to prove that I'm me? You're calling me. I'm not calling you. Uh, and we've seen a, a, a derivation of this scam where it's now you've given them your, your security code and they go, yep, uh, you are a victim of identity theft. And we're going to help you now secure your accounts. Uh, so if you'll give us your social security number, we will call the credit reporting agencies yeah. and have them issue fraud alerts. Uh, and then you give them your social security number. Now they really have you. Yeah. Uh, now they have even. And, and, and what brings, brings to mind is a credit freezing. Freeze your credit. It's free. Uh, you can now do it for your kids in most states and you freeze it until you need it. Then you thaw it for as long as the uh, creditor is reviewing your file in order to make a decision on whether they're going to grant the, the loan or not. And then, and then freeze it again. And it takes minutes. I mean, very few minutes to freeze your credit, to thaw your credit, 
and to refreeze your credit. And it's, again, one of those simple things people go, oh, my God, it's going to take so much effort. It doesn't. And trust me, it is nothing compared to the effort that you're going to have to uh, expend in the event you become a victim of a scam or a fraud. And with that sage advice, we're actually at the hour here, Adam, uh, and you've only scratched the surface of what you have to offer in terms of knowledge. Um, but we thank you. And, you know, we'd love to have you back and share further learnings and get into uh, maybe a little bit more detail, especially with businesses as to what uh, they can do. But thank you for your generosity. We also want to give you a minute or two to plug anything you want to uh to let our listeners know what, please take a minute here and let whatever you'd like them to know about. Well, I would love you to come and listen to our show, What the Hack with Adam Levy. Okay. It's available wherever you get your podcasts. And and we have uh, over 130 episodes that we have recorded now and they're out there. We've gotten very nice reviews from people. And the whole point of the show is to educate people to understand that there are horrible things going out there and that many people have suffered through them, but we use it as a way, it's a catharsis for people to talk about what happened and to do what so many people do who suffer these incidents. They want to talk to other people because they don't want other people to have to endure what they endured. So we have everyone from Al Franken and Roy Wood, and those are very funny shows. Uh, Dan at Hoot. Uh, who's a comedian who had an incident uh, all the way to people like uh, Teresa Payton, um, Nicole Perlroth of the New York Times, wow. Kashmir Hill of the New York Times, yeah. uh, Michelle Dennity, who had been the chief privacy officer of Sun and Oracle and Intel. And uh, so we have interesting people, interesting situations, some very tragic stories, some actually funny stories that people kind of, chuckle about as they're, as they're explaining what happened to them and they can't believe they fell for it. But come join us. What the Hack with Adam Levin, Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fantastic. We'll link up in the show notes as well, Adam. You've been fantastic. Thank you for the fine work that you're doing and trying to keep all of us safe. Thank you so much for inviting me. <laughs>